We're going to look in Romans chapter 5 this morning. If that rings a bell for you, it's uh, because I read these verses at the beginning of the service last Sunday morning. I've been struggling with this for a couple of weeks, and last Sunday I just uh, used it as the opening, thinking that maybe that's what was needed and what he wanted, and I think that it probably was, but he wanted more. And so he's continued to press this on me this morning for this morning. And uh, trust that he would help us this morning. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're a blessed people today to gather together, not just simply of gathering for fellowship, as good as that is, we're extra blessed this morning for your presence, the rejoicing in our heart and our life because of the change that grace has brought. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that redeems us that paid that ransom, blotting our sins out. What we need now is a special anointing from your divine, your divine cup. In my words can't accomplish what needs to be accomplished, but if you speak through us, if you speak through me, if you allow your word to resonate sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce, to cut the most intricate of details in a person's life. We need that kind of anointing this morning. And I pray that you would, you would do that. In my weakness, provide strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 5, I think last Sunday morning I started with verse 7. I think I did. Maybe I started with verse 6, but I'm starting with verse 6 this morning. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What I find here as a title for this message this morning out of this passage is the immensity of his love. The immensity 
of his love. There's three things that I notice here, or four actually, but we find them uh, in, in written actually right in these words, right into these passages. I like what the Amplified had to say, how it, uh, how it translates this and paraphrases it. While we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves. And that's where it is, powerless to help ourselves. There's a great gulf fixed. You've seen the pictures, you've heard of the story of, of, the, of the cross that was laid down over that gulf that separated me from him, that cross of Jesus Christ where I could make my way to Christ, but actually he makes his way to me because I'm powerless in myself. While we were yet without strength. But then I notice here in verse number 6 something that stands out to me. This, this, is, this is one of the main parts, I believe, of this passage. And that is that his love for us in its immensity is a timely love. And you'll find as you read it there in the King James that in due time Christ died for the ungodly. The Amplified changes it a little bit and says, At the fitting time Christ died for the ungodly. You look at that passage, you look at that idea, and you realize that there's other passages in the New Testament specifically that talk about the fullness of time. When Jesus was born, he was born in the fullness of time. When he died, he died in the fullness of time. He died at a specific time that was orchestrated in the plan of God. He died as God planned it. The history of the saints would indicate that his fullness of time took place over and over again. Even in your own life, in the experiences of your own life, you can see the fullness of time that God stepped in. Somebody said that God in his reputation is that, that he is seldom early, but he's never late. I don't know that you could really say that he's even early at any point, but, but he's never late. Now, he may be late according to our calendar. He may be late according to the, our timepiece and what we think he needs to do. But when God moves, we know that he is moving in the fullness of time, in due time, in due season. He is working out his purpose. And we find it right here, even in this passage, as it speaks about the grace of God that is provided to the weakness of sinners that it comes in the fullness of time. It's a timely love. We also can see clearly then, as we move on to verse 7 quickly, that there is an enormous love. The apostle here in verse number 7 appeals to the common practice of humanity. Who will you give your life for? Who are you willing to die for? I mean, literally die for. Maybe you saw pictures of that semi-accident down there at Louisville. 
And they took that individual who was, who was trained in some sort, in some fashion of rescuing. And, and it was a part of his life. But, but I, I kind of questioned, I kind of questioned if he'd ever practiced that kind of a rescue. I, I really doubt that he did. Because who could fathom that kind of a rescue? But there he goes, down over. They said that if he were to fall from that position, from that high up and hit that water, it would be nearly as bad as hitting concrete. You have a lot of faith in what's above you and what's strapped to you. And then for that person in the truck, and I think I heard later that it was a, it was a woman driver, for her to put her trust and faith. Now, now she doesn't have too many options, does she? She doesn't have too many uh, opportunities here. She's going to have to put her trust in that guy dangling out there. So the question comes to my mind this morning as I look at this passage and Paul, the apostle here, uh, appealing to the human aspects of life, how many of us would be willing to give our life to somebody in whom we come in contact, with whom we come in contact? Oh, you know, really, really, um, you know, a family member, we, we might be able to do that. We, might, we, we would probably be able to do that with a family member, a close friend perhaps, someone, someone who is at least relatively good. But when we're looking at the context here, the, the, the reality of the context here, we have to leave that aside as, as the apostle is appealing to the common practice of humanity. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So we have to look at this from the context of the Scripture. In posing this question, we would have to ask ourselves, would I be willing, am I, will I be willing to give my life for the worst criminal that I could think of? The worst, you know, the dirty, drunken, vile person who vexes us even by their very existence. You know, I, I'm convinced that a lot of people that, that cry out for forgiveness and, and cry out for uh, non-judgmental uh, thoughts and activities, uh, sometimes that they may be the ones that, that hold the biggest grudge or the longest grudge. Because quite often in our society, there are some people who are beyond forgiveness, I'm convinced, that, and some people are beyond forgiveness even among the church, brethren. Why? Because we can't get it out of our mind what they did. And we want them to hurt. We want them to feel the pressure. We want them to, to be destroyed. The worst of criminals I'm talking about. What I, I don't think when it really comes down to it, you know, Paul's appealing to this aspect. Who would I be willing to die for?
But we find here in the context of this verse and the context of this passage that in the immensity of his love, we have an enormous amount that pours out upon the worst. Let's move on to verse number 8, and we'll find very quickly here the word exhibit. No, it's not in your King James. No, it's not in the Amplified. It's not in, in, uh, in, in the English Standard. I don't believe that the word exhibit is found in any of the translations that I normally look at. But, but I think that it, that it reveals itself in the context and in the understanding and the study of what is, what is being said. For, for God commendeth his love. What is that? He commendeth his love. Well, that, that phrasing there, that word specifically would indicate that his love is put on display. His love is revealed or it's shown, it's made visible, it's demonstrated, it's paraded. Let me, let me bring your mind into this word, with this word. His love, he commendeth his, it is presented. It's like it's laying on his open hand. It's presented to us. Did you ever go to an art, art exhibit? What is an art exhibit? It's a whole bunch of artwork that's on display. Now, some of it, some of it, some of it we may look at and say, well, that's art. Well, that's not very talented. Uh, that person doesn't have any art, you know, but it's put on display. And it's put on display to what? To, to reveal the talent of the person. You know, you go in town and watch the parade at Christmas time or at the 4th of July or, or whenever they have all the parades. And, and all this stuff is, is being driven down the street slowly and the band plays. And what is a parade? <clears throat> it's demonstrated. It's on display. It's an exhibit. You find things of interest. You find things of talent. You find all sorts of stuff. The Wise Ball Community float that has been in some parades recently, it's presenting and putting on display uh, a portion, a measure, an attempt to bring about a, a display of the gospel message, the salvation message. And, and so it's paraded through the streets for people to look at and to see and maybe be brought back to the reality of it. It's, it's go to a ball game and you see people showing their talent as, as they snatch up the ball at shortstop and get the runner out at first base or, or the home run that it's, it's on, they're exhibiting their talent. They're exhibiting things. It's, it's, uh, it's showing things. Uh, I think the root word, uh, for exhibit is, is a Latin root word, and, and it means, means to hold forth, to display. I 
God commends his love toward us. He puts his love on display. He shows his love. He makes it visible. He demonstrates it. He parades it. He presents it. God presents the proof of his love by issuing Exhibit A, if you're in the courtroom. Exhibit A. What is Exhibit A? Exhibit A could very well be the presentation of the fact that while we were yet sinners, is there somebody here this morning that's saying I wasn't a very ugly sinner? If you are, then you need to go back and read the scripture, for all have sinned. And sin and its, its ugliness is present with all. I'm not as ugly as that person. Look how deep into sin. All have sinned. All are capable of sin. You know, I notice, uh, I notice that in all of Christ's travels, all of Christ's travels, capital A, capital L, capital L, all of Christ's travels, as he, as he walked this earth from, from this place to that place, from hither to yon, all the travels of, of Jesus Christ, any time someone called out to him, no matter, no matter who it was, Jesus responded. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Well, it may not be so beautiful until you really stop and think about who all it was that was calling out to him. The blind man. Now, he, he might have been a little bit obnoxious. You know, people tried to quiet him down, say, don't bother the master, but he kept on. He, he, he developed a little bit of an obnoxious attitude. and The church people tried to silence him. But he called out to him, and when Jesus realized he was calling out to him, when Jesus heard it, he responded. What about the grieving, broken heart of that widow woman? She didn't even have to cry out to him, but his heart was drawn to her grief, and she, she was crying in her grief, and he responded. Oh, there's, there's one, there's one. You remember the prostitute? You know, that sinner that came to Jesus. And again, the church people tried to say, no, you're too bad. But Jesus responded. Not, it wasn't wise ball, it was, it was the church of Jerusalem. Let's never get to that reality, that point, that uh, let's not make it a reality that they're too bad for Jesus. Because every time somebody calls out, Jesus responded, even to that despicable person of a prostitute. How about that devil-possessed individual? Tormented in his life and, and, and messed up in his existence, and everybody was afraid of him. But when he came to Jesus, Jesus responded to him. There were lame people. There were leprous people. Brother Harry Plank was preaching this morning. He would probably say there were snotty-nosed urchins. And he responded to them. 
Not with a hand that was stiff-armed and held out to them, but it was a hand that was opened up and presenting. It was holding forth. His hands were holding forth, displaying his love. Timely love. Enormous love. Exhibiting that love. No matter who it was, he listened to them. He responded to them. He exhibited his love. He commends his love. He demonstrates his love. He proves his love. While we were yet sinners, we find sacrificial love. Because in verse number 8, it says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Us. Right here is where you need to have a mic to drop it on the floor, you know, that boom of the of the mic drop. Because it's so powerful, the reality of those words that while we, while I was yet a sinner, while you were yet a sinner, while you were still darkness and sin, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for you. The apostle tells us in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. Another translator said, for the wages paid by sin is death. You know, there, there's some people, there, there are some times that people think that the wages of sin is, is fulfilling them. But they will come, they will realize at some point that the wages of sin only bring emptiness and brokenness. And I pray that it's sooner than later. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God... He commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But Isaiah also said in the first chapter, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. James mentioned that passage of Scripture that tells us that he removes our sins, our transgressions, as far as the east from the west. How can he do that? It's summed up in the immensity of his love while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. And as grace has changed the world that I'm living in, grace can change the world that you are living in if you are still living in sin today. He has the grace sufficient for you. Let's stand together this morning. Just speak his name.
We heard it sung. Just speak his name, and he's there to listen. His love is given to us. Given to you. Are you hearing me this morning? It's given to you. Can change the world you're living in. And all of the grief, the trial of sin, the burden of sin, it can all be gone. Put your trust in Him. Somebody need to pray this morning? Thank you for your attendance and your attention this morning. Trust that God will help all of us to take the truth of this passage of Scripture with us to walk with us daily. Praise God. Herb Halbert, would you dismiss us in prayer?